you. And even if you're a guest, you're like, well, I don't really know. Well, yes. And if you're tuning in online, yes. God's plan includes you. And this sermon series is called Strategic Design. Today's sermon is going to be a little bit different. I'll just give you a heads up. You might not shout me down. It might be a little bit quieter as we look at some of the uh, harder things in Scripture and some of those harder moments that Jesus faced as he was approaching the cross. Ephesians 2 tells us that it was always God's plan to restore you back to perfection, knowing, knowing that we would blow it. And what do I mean by God's sovereignty when we're talking about God's sovereign design? Well, God is sovereign, right? He's all-powerful, all-knowing, over all. What is that? That's God's right to exercise his ruling power over creation. It's God's right to exercise his ruling power over creation. And it's very important that we at Rock of Grace come back to these fundamental doctrines, these cement uh, sections of the concrete of the foundation of this church. If, if you don't come back to these every now and then, you can accidentally buy into another form of the gospel, another form of Christianity, which we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Jesus, God's son, knows how you feel. So wait a minute, you said he's sovereign. Isn't he distant? If he's over everything, is he distant? No, he somehow is both. God somehow, and I said this uh, three weeks ago, but I want to say it again. He knows how you feel. And for some of you this morning, that's incredibly encouraging. Because maybe you've had a very difficult week or month. Or you think back to a time when you thought God was absent and silent. Or that God didn't know you were suffering, that he was unaware or maybe uncaring. But you have to understand that these passages, and we only have so much time, so I had to actually take some, some of the ideas and the passages out. But look at Isaiah 43, Isaiah 53, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 53, and Psalm 69. In these places in Scripture where we see Jesus is suffering with us, tempted like we're tempted, betrayed like we're betrayed or hurt or left, and so God is not just sovereign in that he's in control, and that's important, but he also cares. One more time, look at your neighbor say, he really cares. He really does. And if you get too close to, you know, either one of these ideas, to, to left or to right, you can err in your, in, in your view of him, and it's important that we understand how powerful he is, but that he came to serve. This is one of the most amazing paradoxes. I, that's why I love that song, um, Here I Am to Worship, that, that verse 2. King of all days, so highly exalted, right? Then humbly he came. Humbly he came to save us. I mean, if Jesus is in charge of everything, and if God is creator, and if he's charged, and he looks down and he sees mankind just blowing it, like, why not just start over? I love what one theologian 
said, um, this is God's universe, and God does things his way. And some of you think, well, God, sometimes I don't like his ways. Well, here's the problem. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. That's Vernon McGee. When I was studying, like, these ideas of, you know, God's sovereignty and, and, uh, and some of this actually is co-written with, with Pastor Andrew, too, we were talking through, like, man, God's sovereignty. I just, that line, it's his universe. Right? Can, can we just be childlike for just a moment? Just a moment. Well, I mean, I always, I always want us to be childlike, but put your hands up like this, okay? So, like, it's not like this big, a little bigger, like I do with my kids. How much do I love you, right? Okay, as wide as you can go. It's like, squint your eyes with me. You know there's, like, galaxies that they're like, yeah, we think there's, like, another 100 galaxies in that black hole. I mean, the, the stronger the telescopes get, the more they're like, we are really small, and somehow God has this whole thing balanced. Is it remarkable to anybody else that the sun is just at the right spot that you're not being scorched to that? Unless you move to Florida, like some of you do. I know, some of you move every January. And we see you back in April. One day, I too. No, I'm just kidding. You go down there and you get scorched, but then you're like, it really is amazing. I mean, just... Maybe a couple miles, I think it was, when I looked at it. it was, you could be zapped, but he, he's got everything balanced so perfectly. He's so sovereign. His, his creation is so perfect. I mean, he made, you, you read Genesis and it says, and he saw it and he said, it is good. But let's be honest. We're going to come back to this. Sometimes life isn't good. Is anybody willing to be honest with me? Just nod your... Yeah. And if you're like me, sometimes I, I want to say, well, why don't you do something about it? Right? Why don't you do something about it? And that's how the Hebrew children felt. That, that sets the scene for how the Hebrew children felt. When Jesus comes on the scene, okay, he enters Jerusalem. And we're going to read about this. Turn in your Bibles to John 12. Open your Bible app. And John 12, verse 9, Jesus enters Jerusalem and they shout Hosanna, which when we read this in a second, I want you to understand it means save us now. And that word now was jumping off the page to me. It's save us now. Now, one thing I want us to be careful as we read and we talk today, I'm going to use the word crowd a lot in the sermon. But please be careful as I use the word, even as we read it, that you don't lump everybody in the crowd. Because I have to believe that there was probably some people in the crowd that were genuinely repentant of their sin and genuinely excited that Jesus was giving them a new way. But we'll, we'll come back to this. Look at this. When a large crowd, everybody say crowd. When a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So stop right here and look right here. Remember, Lazarus, if you're new to the faith, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus did not go heal Lazarus before he died. 
His family was actually mad at Jesus. Jesus, why didn't you do something? And we're kind of coming to that throughout the sermon. And by the way, Jesus wept with her. He feels what you feel. He cried with her. And hear me, he cries with you when you cry. Scripture says he bottles your tears. Wow. Now think about this. The chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death. Because of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Friend, you are messed up if you're going to go try to kill the dude that just got raised from the dead. I mean, everybody just think about that. Let's just think about that, right? The guy was raised from the dead. And because it was incredibly obvious, because everybody, they were at the funeral, right? They sang the songs. They did the dirge. They smelled the, the ointments. They put him in the tomb. They all knew he was in there. And three days later, he comes out. It's proof. And with this proof, many believers were starting to believe in Jesus. By the way, if you were there, raise your hand. You'd probably start believing too. If you were at the cemetery, at Kinsman Cemetery, and you were at the guy's funeral, and three days later, he's like, I'm back, right? And he's at church, you'd be like, whoa. Now think about this. you got to be pretty sadistic, pretty messed up if you're like, let's kill him again. <laughs> I mean, I read this and I was like, that's kind of funny. And it's also kind of sad. It shows you, hear me, this is not part of my sermon, but just hear me. It shows you how blinding a religious spirit is. A religious spirit will push you to do things that are so illogically wrong. I don't know who that's for, but just write that down in your spirit. Here we go. The next day, the large crowd that came to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees. This is like the, the red carpet that we would say today. Rolled out the red carpet. They went to meet him crying, Hosanna, which again means save us now. In fact, let's just say, everybody, everybody say, save us now. Okay, here we go. They said, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now I want you to pause for a minute. I was thinking about this. He's fulfilling a prophecy, which again, strategic design is this month's theme. It's not an accident that Jesus is coming to town on that day, okay, on that feast. It's also not an accident that he's on a donkey, a baby donkey. Okay, I'm picturing this, a baby donkey, not real styling, right? His feet are maybe dragging on the ground. I mean, think about that. You're going to make a triumphant entry. Get that horse from Aladdin, you know? I don't know what's with Aladdin lately, but get that. Get a big old steed, you know? Like the one at the end of Shrek. Anybody have like 100 kids? You, you've seen all the, yeah. I see that hand. Thank you. That was a weird place for saying I see that hand. But um, why not get a big horse in a, you know, but instead he comes humbly 
on a, a baby donkey. His disciples did not understand. By the way, if he's your leader, would you be like, look at our fearless leader. What is he doing? You know? Like, Peter, were you told to get him a horse? Because last time you forgot the meal. Remember with the thing? He said, go get a meal. You didn't get a meal. You thought he was talking about a real meal. And then he turns out people were hungry. You blew it again. Get him a horse. You know, they're, you're wondering, what are they? their conversations? But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written. So, so later, when Jesus is glorified and he's risen from the dead, by the way, that's next week, Easter. Who's coming back to celebrate that? Come on. So, ne- oh, wait, don't get spoiler alert. I just, uh, spoiler alert. I mean, you knew it was coming. Okay. When he was glorified, then all the revelations started firing off, right? Then all the prophecies. I mean, imagine, you're, you're standing there, you watch him ascend to heaven, and all the prophecies start clicking. Oh, yeah. Remember what Isaiah said? Oh, yeah. It was prophesied that the, Isaiah would, that, they, that the Messiah would come in riding on a donkey. That was just one of many. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard what he had done. And so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Because see, what the Pharisees wanted was a crowd. We'll come back to that. Now, among those who, were, who went with worship or went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and he asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. And maybe today you're thinking, I want to see Jesus. Maybe if you're a guest and more people are tuning in online lately, maybe you're tuning in online saying, I want to know if Jesus is real. That's a great question. It's the best question you could ever ask. And I'll answer it now. Yes. Yes, he is. He's very real, and he loves you, and he's the son of God. And look what it says. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Now, when they hear glorified, right, they're, they're thinking glorified. They're not ready for the suffering, not ready for the disappointment. So truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, here's Jesus with all this death talk again. Here's Jesus with all this. His last sermon told me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What's, this, what's with this death conversation? But if that seed dies, it bears much fruit. For whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, and there my servant will be also. Remember we just said at the end of worship? Jesus is seated in heavenly places, and Scripture says you two are now are seated and will be physically seated in heavenly places. Just like it says, there will be my servant with you. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father is going to honor you, Scripture says, in front of all the angels. Even when he, Jesus is being questioned and they're demanding answers, he talks about this idea of being honored together in heaven. There's so much packed into this. I mean, Jesus, they, they roll out the red carpet. They treat him like a celebrity. Why? Because they expected him two things. They expected him to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman government. Romans were taking all of their money, all of their money, abusing their power, right? A lot of abuse going on. And if you're being, if you and your family and your constituents and your, your, your co-workers and your town 
is consistently being robbed, be, being abused, if you will. You, you want a savior. You want somebody to rescue you from the oppression, okay? You also wanted rescued from the religious elite who would take tithe money only to line their pockets. That really bothered uh, Jesus. And that bothered them. So they would say, save us. Save us from the hypocritical ministry leaders and save us from the political regime that is abusing us. Can you see it? Nod your head with me if you see it. Okay. So they said, save us. Everybody say now. One more time. Save us. Now, again, some of them probably were in the midst of Jesus' talks, his sermons, if you will, if we wanted to call it that. And they were genuinely repentant. But I have a feeling most of them just wanted saved from the oppression. Just save us from our problems. So the crowd wanted now, Jesus wanted forever. And today's Christian world makes the same mistake. They mistake a crowd for a sign of success. The world and Christians do this. A crowd does not equal success and a crowd does not equal compromise. It's very important that we understand that. Because there's something innate in our human nature that's a problem that we want to be on the in crowd. Will we all just admit with that? I mean, that's, it doesn't take a, a psychologist to know that, right? We want to be in the in crowd. We want to be in the crowd, and we all are going to agree. And if you agree, you're the opposition. In today's world, if you ever even have a differing opinion, you are now enemy number one, right? How many knows that's a problem in our culture right now? So we have to learn to, to disagree again and have, have nice chats about our, our differing opinions and still be friends, for one. But we have to be careful what the crowd is saying and doing and, and valuing the message of the crowd, please hear me, if it differs from the message of Jesus. Let me say it again. We have to be careful that even if everything in the crowd sounds good, if it's different from the messaging of Jesus, you need to... Walk away from the crowd. We've all seen some of this news going around the world, and it's uh, Hillsong Church and other churches. There's many churches going through stuff like this. And so I thought it would be not right of me as a pastor not to address this. I thought it would be healthy for us to just talk about for just a second. And for some of you, it's an elephant in the room, and you're, like, waiting for me to address it. And some of you maybe haven't even heard about it. What's going on with Hillsong? There's this documentary that's shown in 2020, last year in Australia, put out a very similar report where the Royal Commission came together and they, they found with a lot of investigators dozens, dozens and dozens of sexual abuse reports just buried and buried and buried. And, and the pastors never even facing any consequences. Some of them even just continually being elevated in the church because why... The reputation of the church, of the brand, was more important 
than the protection of the victim, of the person. And I want you to hear me. That breaks my heart. I don't know if, it, if you've seen those news. If, if you're, I don't know if it's I'm getting older. I don't know. what I have been seriously, I, I was in my office maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes the other day, just so heavy grieving over the thousands of Christians who are in the midst of all of that crisis right now. The thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians who are going, wait, he was an abuser, he was an abuser, he was an abuser. I, I can't trust them. Oh, well, then forget it. I'm going to leave the church. And sadly, that's what a lot of times happen. But we're going to come back to this idea. I want you to hear me. That's why it's so important that you never elevate a man over Jesus. It's also very important that you have a relationship with Jesus more than you have a relationship with a man who knows Jesus. We talk about this a lot here, right? Is that you can have a relationship with Jesus. And if the only time you're talking to Jesus is when the pastor's telling you, right? You, you, you have to, I want you to know a couple things. I, I don't want to miss what I wrote down. That we at Rock of Grace were committed, if anything were to ever happen, I'm just telling you, we are going to protect the victim, right? And, and you hold the person accountable. And I want you to know, we, we've even had parents even just, you know, get upset even about our, our child security system. That happens every couple months it happens. Why? Because you're like, yeah, of course, just give me my child. Or I'm the aunt. You know me. I've been here late on two months ago. That's why we're very strict because we love your kids, we don't want somebody to take them home. We don't want anything to happen. We want to protect them. We're very careful about that. So now you know that's part of our, our why. That is our why, is we love, want to protect your kids. I want to say a couple things. Again, I felt I had this burden, and then I'm reading, I'm preparing for sermon, and suddenly the Holy Spirit was connecting the two. Because that same crowd that said, I love you, Jesus, save me from my problems, we all know the story. It wasn't long before they said, crucify him. Guys, the crowd is fickle. Jesus is faithful. You can't get so wrapped up in, well, this is what everybody's saying. This is what everybody's saying. Never validate your point of view by, oh, the crowd is all saying it. It's not what God wants you to do. What you want to do is look at the word. So number two, vision can be great when it multiplies the kingdom, but it can't be more important than multiplying you, your, you and your brand. It's got to be building the kingdom. The kingdom. Everybody say the kingdom. Crowds can be deceiving. A crowd does not equal success, and a crowd doesn't equal compromise. Be very careful not to do that. Be, careful, be very careful not to say, well, that's a mega church, so they're compromising. Don't think that. There's a lot of, I don't know these guys personally, but honestly, I think the Francis Chans, the Jeff Leakes, John Wooten, my personal pastor, there's a lot of great churches preaching the gospel, and Jesus had crowds, okay? So Jesus did not compromise. Can we all agree on that? I, hear, I, want, I want to say this. These are just some takeaways from all of this. We tend to want a king but not a Lord. I want to be saved from others. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to save you from yourself. 
They said, save us now. And what they were saying was, save us from what we talked about. The, the hypocritical leaders that have let us down. Save us from the Romans who are stealing from us. And Jesus comes in and says, I'm saving you from yourself. Because you have a nature in you. You have a sinful nature that causes you, you to be selfish. And you to do things you wish you didn't do. Right? So then you have these people come to the cross. When Jesus is hanging, there's, there's people lingering at the cross realizing what Jesus was saying. People want a king but not a lord. And it's the same problem back then as it is now. But hear me, Jesus can't be, and I say this in love, so please hear me. And this is really good news. That's going to sound hard, but it's great news. Jesus can't be Savior or Lord. He must be Savior and Lord. Let me say again. Jesus wants to be Lord and Savior, right? But a lot of people, and if you're here today, maybe, you're, maybe you say, you know what, I've done that. I've wanted to just make him Savior. Just save me. But Lord, over the way I speak to my spouse, Lord, over my finances, no, 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 no. I was at this life group, and my life group leader pulled me aside later quietly and told me that I was really rude to my spouse. I don't know who he thinks he is. I'm leaving that church. They're trying to control me. No, Jesus is trying to be Lord in your life. By the way, that didn't just, like, happen last week. I made that up as a, just to, I know. Every now and then, uh, every couple, couple times a year, I go in the foyer and, like, I can't believe you told my story. I'm like, dude, I made that up. It was an illustration. Holy Spirit told your story. <laughs> Woo, I'll stop there. Okay. I'm just saying, happens to every pastor. Every pastor. It happens to every pastor. But seriously, it doesn't matter, like, there's so many areas of our life where we say, oh, I just want you to save me. And then Jesus is like, I'm saving you, but I also want to help you. If you'll let me love you, if you'll let me teach you a better way. He wants to be Lord and Savior. Savior and Lord. Amen? Even in the fall of man, we see the workings of God's plan. Jesus was already in the works of making this remedy. Did, did any of you, I know it was only like three months ago when I was preaching from Genesis. I get genuinely sad when I read that part about they were banished from the garden. And it's like all of our Christianity, it's like we're trying to get back to the garden, isn't it? It's like we're trying to get back to this life of perfection. But here's the thing, perfection is completeness. And we know that we are not in perfection yet. There's a lot of things that are incomplete. There's a lot of things that hurt in our lives. There's a lot of things that, and in Jesus' day, it was the same. They, they're like, well, Jesus, solve our problems now. But Jesus wants forever. Everybody say forever. And guys, sometimes there are things in God that you only learn in suffering. And I know that's not really popular uh, theology, 
And if we take the, uh, this, is, this is my Baptocostal coming out. If we take the, the Baptocostal uh, pendulum and we swing all the way over here to evangelicalism, and there's a lot of people who say, don't even talk about that. No, God never wants suffering in your life. Yes, yeah, sometimes he allows you to suffer. If it brings your heart into a place of dependence. By the way, there are lilies in the valley that are not on the mountaintop. There are precious moments with God that you will experience only when you are solely dependent on God, when everything else has left you. Are you hearing me this morning? There are moments in God that you only have in suffering. I thought I was completely surrendered to God until 2016. 2016 was a very difficult year. I talked about it my first year of pastoring here. I'll tell you just a quick um, quick summary of it. My wife had faced this postpartum uh, depression, and I asked her permission if I could share this again. And I know she shared it in the My Story uh, sermon series we did three years ago. But guys, there's a level of surrender to God, again, that only comes when you are asking God, why aren't you doing something now? And I, I would come home and find my wife who's really really, really sharp person. If you guys know Danielle, come on, you, she is really sharp. She's beautiful, she's kind, she's like top of her class, you know, every class she attends. I used to call her smarty pants. She's just really smart. So to come home and, and see your wife like in a ball of tears, unable to function, can't work, can't care for the kids. And day after day you go, okay, Lord, all right, I'm ready for you to heal her now. All right, Lord. All right, it's been two months. Has anybody ever been there? All right, Lord, it's 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 been a year. And it's in these moments when I would stand at the sink and, and fight tears and say, God, are you real or not? Are you are is this real? This thing I'm preaching about, your ability to heal, is it real or not? And in those moments, we ask this question, and I've asked it before. Either God is not good enough or God is not powerful enough. Which is it? Right? How many of you guys have been grieving before and you've asked that? Yesterday, I hugged the necks of four daughters who lost their mom. Is that a funeral? I'm, yeah, yesterday. I'm, now, by the way, in these grieving moments, though, you see glimpses of heaven. There's about 20 or 30 people there surrounding her, showing these girls and this family God's love from this church and from their life group. Glimpses of heaven, glimpses of God's goodness right there, the lilies in that valley, in that dark place of grief. But when we grieve and when we suffer, we ask God, are you good because if you're good, you care. And if you care, you'll do something. And if you're strong enough, you'll do something. Has anybody ever been there with me? And so the people are feeling that. Even with Lazarus, and he dies, right? What does Mary say? Where were you? You could have done something. And when we ask, okay, why does God then allow suffering? I'm not going to be the pastor that tries to tell you that answer. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that I can trust him. That's all I know. 
And where me and Danielle landed, it was, what, babe, like four months in, I said, here's what we're going to do. Whether we feel it or not, whether we're mad at God or not, we're going to say this together every night, sometimes 20 or 30 times. God, you are my father. You are good, and I will trust you. And that became our anthem. God, you're my father. In fact, why don't you all try this with me? Say, God, you're my father. You are good, and I will trust you. Can you imagine the disappointment for the disciples when they put their Savior on a cross? I mean, they had seen Jesus heal hundreds of people. If, if you were one of his disciples, wouldn't you have said, Jesus, heal yourself? But he had a strategic design. In the midst of that disappointment, Jesus was dying for you. In the midst of them saying, why don't you do something? Jesus was fulfilling, being obedient to the Father, saying, I'm going to suffer so they don't have to suffer. I'm going to be separated from the Father for a moment so they are united with the Father forever. Wow, think about that, guys. Jesus suffered so you don't have to. That's the gospel. And spoiler alert, he rose from the dead three days later. He did exactly what he said he would do. I had somebody about two weeks ago ask me, I just don't see slain in the spirit in the Bible. I said, dude, when Jesus rose from the dead, dozens of guards were like, bow. And he's like, man, I never saw that before. I'm like, they were slain in the spirit. When Jesus rose from the dead, everything changed. Now all of his claims, and this is important, all of his claims about being son of God, he's the son of God. Many of the disciples, guys, they go back to fishing. They go back to what they were doing. And wouldn't you do that if you were in your disappointment? Has anybody ever felt the sting of disappointment? Something you hoped for? Come on, just raise your hand. Something you hoped for and you worked for maybe for months or years and it doesn't happen. They're feeling the pain and the sting of disappointment. And then all of a sudden, right, Jesus just walks in the room. Hey, guys. Now, for two of them, he walked along, you know, Luke 24, he locked, walked along with them for a while, and they were feeling his presence as they're asking questions. Did not our hearts burn within him? I love how when they pray for, I think it's Peter, to join them, <laughs> they're praying for Peter, and then Peter just shows up. That's a good prayer meeting. They're like, dear God, please rescue Peter from prison. Hey, guys. <laughs> how many guys would like that prayer meeting? And suddenly a lot of their prayers were being answered. But hear me, some of their prayers maybe still weren't answered. Are we okay with that? Some of them, maybe they still, maybe somebody still suffered with migraines. Right? Maybe Paul still had his thorn in the flesh that he couldn't explain. He couldn't, 
as good as he was at homiletics and debate, maybe he couldn't explain why God didn't heal him from whatever that thing was. But what matters is that Paul, that Peter, that all of these guys said, Jesus, I know you're good. And I trust you. Whether I'm saved now from every problem I have, or whether you give me glimpses, what we call miracles, glimpses of being saved, glimpses of heaven, I just know that one day, then and there, I believe what you said. I'm made perfect. I'm made whole. There's perfect unity. There's perfection. There's completeness. Amen? Bow your heads with me. The prayer team's going to come to the sides of the room and to the right and left of the stage. And I always want to give an opportunity for you to accept this Jesus, the Son of God who died in your place. Maybe you're a guest with us. Maybe it's not even your first time. You've been here a few times. And if you don't know the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity right now to truly know the Lord. And when I say that, please hear me. I'm not saying I want to give you a ticket to heaven and just that's it. I want to give you an opportunity to repent of your sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you repent of your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you say, I realize today that it's not just that I need saved from a messed up world, I need saved from myself. I have things that I've said and done that I regret. If that's you and you want to repent of those sins and be restored to the Father, would you raise your hand nice and high? I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm just going to pray with you right where you are. And if you're tuning in online, I just want to do this just in case someone's tuning in online. If you want to make that prayer, we're going to do that right now. Dear Father, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins, the times I've blown it. I realize now that it's not just others, it's me. I have brokenness. I have selfishness. I have remorse from my failures, and I need you to forgive me. Heavenly Father, I want you to be my father too. Make Jesus my brother. Thank you for the promise of heaven. In Jesus' name. Now the second opportunity is for those of you right now who are grieving and you're asking God. You're asking God, are you, are you good? Do you care? Or you're asking God, are you strong enough? Are you powerful enough to do something? I'm going to ask the, the team to just dim the lights. And we're going to give you an opportunity to go pray with somebody. And if you look around the room, you'll see there's a, a myriad of people. This is an amazing prayer team, people who've been serving Jesus a long time, who pray for you. Many of them I pray with on a regular basis. They pray for you. We pray that, that you 
would know God's love, that you would experience him for who he really is. And if you need that love to heal some hurt this morning, would you just go to them right now? You got some questions as to why God's allowing certain things? Come on, go get that off your chest. Go pray with a brother and sister. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. My, my burden is light. Come to me. Give me those stresses. Give me those burdens right now. Have the courage to come out of your seat and go pray with someone. Maybe there's someone that's sick and you want to stand in for healing right now. Someone is suffering. I want to tell you, a lot of healing can come if you'll be honest enough to say, I am broken in this area. Guys, the healing can't come. The, you, you don't put the Neosporin on until you open the wound, until you move the Band-Aid and you put the Neosporin on. It doesn't hit the wound until you move the debris out of the way. Maybe there's a deep disappointment in you. I remember I faced something in my third year of Bible college. I was, I was mad at God. I was straight up, I was very mad at God. Because he wasn't giving me the answer and the healing that I desperately needed. But just like David in Psalms, God didn't push me away when I asked hard questions. And I want to tell you, God does not push you away. When you ask hard questions like, God, why? When you pray Psalms like Psalm 137 and you say, God, why? Why, do I, why am I abandoned? Why are you silent? He wants to hear you come to him. I want to say this too. It could be that you are a respected leader in our church. And for some reason, you're thinking that that should stop you from needing prayer. Guys, I'm your pastor and I need prayer. Everybody needs prayer. So don't let, don't let the enemy do that to you. What will people think? You're a leader. You're supposed to have it all together. No, you need prayer. We all need prayer. So if there's something that's really been weighing on your heart, especially that disappointment, I want to invite you to go get prayer. Let Jesus take that burden. let this song speak to you as you hear
could be in your seat and still kind of mad at God for something, you can right now say, it is well. I don't understand. I don't know all the reasons why my prayer wasn't answered. But it is well with my soul. I trust God. I choose to trust Him. feel led to just do something we're gonna keep we're gonna keep the music in just a moment back up but if you're if your spouse is here will you just turn with your spouse right now and I want you to some sometimes I've noticed when I talk to couples sometimes they don't spend that time praying together that they need to can you just ask and husbands lead the way here ask your wife honey is there anything just heavy on your heart anything I can pray with you about Go and pray with them. God, it is well with us. For those of you that aren't praying with a prayer team member and, or your spouse, I just want to talk to you for a minute <clears throat> as we close. Maybe stand up to your feet. <clears throat> I was listening to uh, a scholar, really. Um, he's the creator of the Bible Project. He does an amazing, amazing job. And my sister had perfect timing, sent me this uh, podcast, and I was listening to a Q&A he was doing. And one of the people in the church said, well, what, what about Job? Is Job really there? And is it a metaphorical or is it a real story? And, of course, he says yes, like all scholars do. It's both. And, um, but I love his answer to, well, what do we do when, when we're mad at God like this? And he said, well, I 
I'm still learning not to be mad at God when I'm grieving, but to be mad at what Job calls the Satan. Because he, he says, I know God is good. And I know God has a plan. So when I see brokenness in my own life or in, in the lives of others, things outside of my control, I, instead of, God, why don't you do something and getting mad at God, let's say, wait, I'm mad at Satan and I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna pray against those lies. I'm gonna pray for that person. I'm gonna pray with that person out loud, right? That we direct our emotions correctly and that we keep our hope in the truth that Jesus has prepared a better way. That Jesus has made a place for you and for me. Amen? He says, if it were not true, I would not tell you. I have a room in my father's house with your name on it. Don, there's a room that literally says Don. Don Green. Right? 